Welcome to OsteoTalk, an Osteopathy Australia podcast dedicated to delivering clinically relevant education for osteopaths to learn, connect and collaborate by drawing on a wealth of knowledge seen in practice as well as experts in other disciplines. Join us as we explore real clinical issues through interviews and discussion with top practitioners in Australia and internationally. For more learning and development resources, visit our website at www.osteopathy.org.au. Welcome to the Osteo Talk podcast. Following on from our episode on dysfunctional breathing, Dr. Roselle Bacourtney joins us again for a discussion centered around long COVID or post-COVID conditions and the COVID-19 virus. Thank you for joining us again, Roselva. We might dive into doing some COVID discussion now. Yep. Can you, can you give us a bit of a description on how the COVID-19 infection affects the lungs and breathing in the acute infection phase? So I think the most common symptoms, people can have many, many, many symptoms from long COVID. And, you know, it's a multi-system condition, but... Um, prolonged ongoing breathlessness and fatigue and sort of, you know, depression, anxiety are very common and brain fog, you know, a sort of very common um, symptoms. So breathe, breathing can be tied into all those things. So it, it turns out that a lot of people after COVID actually get a bit of asthma, <laughs> you know, mm. the, the, the inflammation um, persists and they start developing, you know, an obstructive lung condition. So, but then some people just don't have asthma. They don't develop an asthma or, you know, a, a, a restrictive or an obstructive lung disease that fits the diagnostic criteria, but they just have unexplained breathing symptoms, unexplained breathlessness. They can't run or walk or do what they used to do before without feeling short of breath. And that fits more under the category of a functional breathing disorder. And there's been some research done showing that one study that was done by someone called Mancini showing that 88% of people who have breathing symptoms after long COVID have dysfunctional breathing, meaning that they're prone to the the things we talked about before, breathing pattern disorders, hyperventilation, and they just have ab abnormal sort of um, response to exercise. Normally, when you exercise, there's a sort of a normal relationship between level of ventilation and speed and depth of breathing. And with people with a dysfunctional breathing in long COVID, those relationships get thrown out of whack. And they test for that using sort of fairly fancy testing called um, um, a, a cardiopulmonary exercise uh, testing. Anyway, I don't do that. I'm just about to take a workshop on it next week. I'll know more about that. I became intrigued <laughs> after reading the paper. So I'm actually um, going to attend a course next week where I'm going to learn much more about that. And uh, But so there have been some papers published um, with long COVID patients who are suspected of having dysfunctional breathing and they've actually given them that questionnaire I mentioned before, the self-evaluation of breathing questionnaire, the one I developed during my PhD. And that's been used to screen for dysfunctional breathing in long COVID. So that's an easy thing to do. And then 
the thing about dysfunctional breathing, it's, it creates these vicious cycles, you know, where the way you're breathing makes you more breathless and it makes you more restricted and it makes the muscles of breathing tighter and tenser and it makes your brain unsatisfied with the amount of air that you're getting. And that in turn makes you feel distressed and anxious because you've got unexplained symptoms and you think there's something terrible is happening with you. So um, that that can happen in long COVID. You know, and I've been treating some of those patients myself. And um, but it's not as simple as that. There's more going on in long COVID. Um, you know, long COVID is sort of seems to be linked to a number of things. The research is still going on about what is it that causes this long COVID. And, you know, the the, the main contenders for causality. Uh, one is viral persistence, meaning that the virus isn't out of you. COVID, the, the uh, SARS-CoV-2, you know, that causes caused COVID-19, is a virus that appears to persist in the body. It sort of hides out in nooks and crannies, keeps, keeps on going. And um, people have been tested and found to have, you know, viral persistence in different um, locations. The other thing is that COVID-19, one of the big um, things that they're finding is that it's really affects the um, endothelium of blood vessels. So it's a sort of a vasculopathy, if you like. Um, and so you'll get, you know, inflammation and disturbed um, balance of pro-oxidant and antioxidant uh, function in the blood vessels and increased coagulation. So you get these little microclots happening and then you get dysautonomia. So the way our brain uh, uh, nervous system responds to an infection is to throw a, a sympathetic nervous system response. And the sympathetic nervous system is actually primary manifestation of immune response so what seems to happen with COVID-19 is that the autonomic nervous system gets really thrown out of whack and it's like there's a persistent of that sympathetic nervous system reaction which might be because of the persistent virus but also it seems that the virus itself crosses the blood-brain barrier it kind of proliferates up into the brain through the um you know through the nasal mucosa through the cribriform plate up into the brain. And, you know, and the autonomic nervous system controls everything in the body. So you end up with dysautonomia and then multiple um, symptoms that kind of don't make sense. They're not an organ pathology. They're just generally related to this disruption of the autonomic nervous system. And as osteopaths, you know, we do try and help the autonomic nervous system we think we're mostly helping the parasympathetic, but we're also actually supporting the sympathetic nervous system. When you adjust somebody's spine, if you're using spinal manipulation, you're getting a sympathetic nervous system response. If you're working with, you know, relaxing, slow, soothing type therapies, then you, you know, and working on the skin and, you know, that kind of thing, the muscles, relaxing them, you helping people get into more of a parasympathetic state, which might have a balancing effect. There's been a bit of research on osteopaths helping dysautonomia by working on, um, you know, the, the, the base of the cranium, 
because you've got a number of important cranial nerves that exit there. And it seems that people get a sort of a congestion and so helping um, release the area at the base of the cranium, at the craniocervical junction, you can help a number of cranial nerves, including vagus, glossopharyngeal, um, uh, gee, I've forgotten, gone, gone blank on it. But anyway, do you know, and you've got, yeah, so you've got, and lots of cranial nerves you can influence through breathing mm. as well. It's not just the vagus. Everyone knows, oh, yes, the vagus. You know, if you stretch the lungs, you get increased afferent traffic to the brain from the vagus. But things like, you know, training people to, to breathe nasally and consciously and focus on the sensations of the nose, you can give a sort of a, a improve afferent impulses through the trigeminal nerve um, and so on. And then you've got the hypoglossal and the glossopharyngeal nerve that are very much involved in the mechanisms of breathing and breathing control. The vagus and the glossopharyngeal being the main nerves that bring information from chemoreceptors to the brain. And then you've got other areas like the hypoglossal nerve that's really integrated into the breathing system that regulates and controls the upper airway. So, do you know, I looked into what people are doing for breathing and there are a number of rehabilitation programs around the world like the the world health organization says with long covid we have to prioritize rehabilitation and um, we've got to get people you know back to being able to function it's a chronic illness but working on improving function is really important so a number of rehabilitation programs most of them use breathing rehabilitation as part of what they do do you think there's any role for doing almost preventative breathing exercises early on you in mean, the infection the phase? phase? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, one of the main things is nasal breathing. Yeah. <laughs> so you really want to do nasal breathing and techniques to concentrate nitric oxide. I was going to say, I think I read something about the, yeah, na uh, the nitric oxide um, yeah. having a, an antiviral effect and the yeah, nasal breathing right. increasing. That's right. Uh, yeah. Nasal breathing, humming, you know, breath holes, they will all concentrate nitric oxide, which is directly antiviral and for COVID as well. Um, so there's that. And then in the acute phase, it seems that, deeper breathing exercises are good so we know like people who get very sick from covid it's it's really about ventilation and perfusion in the lungs it's about and you know people will develop terrible hypoxia in covid you know that's why when you have covid they'll often say take your you know use a pulse oximeter to gauge your oxygen levels and using somewhat deeper breathing deep slow breathing and the nasal breathing exercises can be really good so deeper slower breathing but once you've got long covid you can actually end up in more trouble using big breathing you know because you might be hyperventilating, hyperventilating. and your problem might be that you've actually got this hypertonic low flat diaphragm and your bicarbonate is off and you you know the chemistry of your breathing control is out of whack and you need more careful work that's actually a bit different to what you would use you know the things i've just mentioned that yep. you would use in the acute stages of covid are you noticing any patterns in in the post covid patients that you're seeing 
in practice? Yeah, just those things, you know, the breathlessness, the brain fog, the anxiety, the post-exertional malaise, the unexplained fatigue. That's the main stuff I've been seeing. Yeah. Um, in in and, terms of sort of biomechanics and, and structurally, um, is there anything you're sort of noticing hands-on that's that's common amongst your patients? Um, well, just when people's breathing is out of whack, you know, their ribcage gets tight, their diaphragm gets tight, they've got tightness in the subcostal area. Um, you, you, and you notice tension in the neck. Hmm. And in the suboccipital area. Yeah. Is there any correlation that we know so far between the severity of the acute infection and, and the prevalence of developing long COVID? Hospitalised patients who have severe COVID do have the highest incidence of long COVID, but people get long COVID from mild yeah. COVID and from, would you believe it, asymptomatic COVID. Yeah. Which is terrible. And it's like, you know, it, and, and, and I think they're saying, well, it's just that sometimes that viral persistence comes because your body didn't throw a strong enough immune response. Yeah, okay. And what makes you feel sick, you know, when you have an acute viral infection is the immune response. Do you know, it's the interferon and it's the, you know, the body's reaction to the virus. So sometimes people have mild symptoms and then they get long COVID. And so I think it might be that they haven't thrown a strong enough immune response. And that's why, you know, vaccination, people who are vaccinated, I think there's a 50% lower incidence of long COVID in people who are vaccinated because people who are vaccinated get a stronger, more robust immune response. And they, they have actually identified new aspects of the immune response. This, um, uh, I think it's called capsidin protein something um that it's not spike protein it's something else it gets activated that seems to give a more robust response and then people who have long covid a sizable percentage of those you know a number of studies have said 50 percent um get better when they're vaccinated uh because of this you know more robust immune response just from your observations and in your opinion do you think covid does trigger more sort of post-viral symptoms or do you think we're we're just hyper aware there's no question it does trigger it does yeah i i think that at first there was a real tendency to dismiss it Mm. to say oh it's not happening but people were terribly terrible sick um children even you know neurological illnesses and problems uh with you know walking motor function and uh, it's it's uh it happens after every viral illness you know that you can have post-viral yeah. conditions but covid seems to be a particularly nasty one okay mm. does a presentation of long covid change your treatment or management approach so factoring in things like oh yeah uh, I, yeah. I, yeah because i i've become aware i think it's pretty nasty and so i I mean, I already know from working with, you know, ME, CFS, Lyme-type patients, I see quite a few of those people, that you can't push them, you know, that you've got to really allow, you've got to really encourage people to pace, rest appropriately, um, you know, really kind of use a diary to figure out how much they do. They've got to 
basically not push themselves to the point of crashing. And I think that the long COVID has just really emphasised that for me. And also I know from, you know, stuff that I've learnt from people like James Hull, who who is a respiratory physician in the UK, who works with um, dysfunctional breathing. And he's actually developed some of the assessment tools for dysfunctional breathing, something called the BPAT. And he also is very big on cardiopulmonary exercise testing. But um, he works a lot with athletes and he's actually co-authored a textbook on, you know, respiratory function in athletes and he he sort of was the first person to really make me aware that you know athletes had to really really be careful of resuming their um exercise and pushing themselves with exercise after covid and that it could be three months Mm. before they could do it he said if, if you've got symptoms above the neck then um, you can maybe push yourself a bit of exercise with 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 exercise, but as soon as symptoms below the neck, including in the in the chest, lungs, and so on, then you need to hold back. And it's because of these this vas- these vascular issues with long COVID, and the heart. Do you know the pericarditis, the myocarditis? You've got athletes who have been um, just like dropping dead. Really. <laughs> you know? Yeah, with heart conditions, and yeah, after COVID. Have you found that patients are less tolerant of manual therapy, potentially? Uh, I, I know that a lot of them really have pain, and so they seek out manual therapy, you know, for treatment of the pain. And do you know, people who are very severe can be triggered by just about anything. So you've got to be a little bit careful. I personally haven't found any problems uh but i know that it can happen yeah so i think it's always gently gently yeah with with long covid and with post-viral conditions in general and just to finish up is there anything else you can think we can you think we can do as osteopaths to support our patients with long covid Things like um, don't overpromise. You know, uh, it's important to give them realistic expectations, to sort of explain that they need to work with their whole lifestyle, identify triggers. Um, you know, I think that it's important that patients get um, appropriate, you know, medical clearance of asthma, and they get cardiac clearance because what I've learned is that they can have asthma and they actually need medication for that. It's not just dysfunctional breathing or some, mm-hmm. oh, it's just a post-viral thing. They can actually get asthma. They take some asthma medication. They feel so much better. Um, and it really helps break that cycle of dysfunctional breathing. And and, and also cardiac clearance. You want to make sure that they, they haven't developed a, a heart condition that's pathology. So I think you need to be careful with that if you're going to be a responsible practitioner. And I think just sort of stay stay informed, you know, as the situation becomes better understood because uh, new stuff is being learned all the time. And so I think we just need to keep up to date. Thank you very much for sharing all your knowledge with us. The content discussed in each episode is the opinion of the participants only and should not be used as medical advice.